Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I am your host, Phil, but before we get to this episode, I'd like to celebrate and congratulate and announce the winners of last episode's giveaway. So those four people are Meili Galeon, Wes Hines, Jeremy Yarborough and Heather Jeffrey. Thank you so much to those four and also anyone else who submitted a review. I know that myself and everyone else at High Five really appreciates it. I emailed those around so that others got to see them and it gave some good context to the work that we put into this and it makes us feel good. So thank you so much for that in itself. Continue to share this podcast with anyone you feel would find value. Okay, so uh, with that said, Enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Vertical Playpen. I think we're all in the same boat where we're all trying to mm-hmm. figure out what a new reality is, how we're going to run, if we can run, where we should run. Yeah. Welcome everyone to Vertical Playpen. I'm your host Phil and in this episode I was chatting with Rohan Shahani who is the Director of Training at ChallengeWorks, a professional vendor member based out of California. He also happens to serve on the board of ACCT. Please rate, review, subscribe, all of those things help us grow our audience. Thank you so much for doing so if you have already done so. And here we go. Yeah, that's eating a lot of time right now, for sure. Yeah, and I think that you know, for us, we've 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 started to transition out of the this is a short term thing, and uh, all right, how do we extend whatever it's going to yeah. be and consider twelve, eighteen months down the line, and like how would this potentially affect the industry? Uh, just quickly, uh, we've sort of done sure. a soft start, but we'll we'll keep it going because yeah. I, I can happily add the intros in. But uh, I'm speaking to Rohan Shahani here, and it, the date is uh, April 8th, so that people get some context. I don't know when this goes totally. out, but just the context of what we're currently in right now, it's April 8th, and uh, you know we're all at home, or we have the privilege, and I would say, to be right. still at home and being able to keep safe. Um, and we were just talking about the transitions that we're going through in terms of our workloads. And uh, so, so Ron, just speak briefly about uh, who you are. Uh, you mentioned challenge sure. works, but what you do there and, um, and then we, we can transition into even how you got into the industry, but let's just start at who you are. Yeah, sure. That's good. Absolutely. So yeah, clearly my name is Rohan and um, <laughs> I work with uh, challenge works out in California. And uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, we're a, ACCT PVM, which are, you know, great abbreviation letters mm-hmm. for the Association for Challenge Course Technology and professional vendor member. Um, and I run the training department. So my, my title is director of training. And I spend a lot of time right now, you know, both training trainers, as well as kind of helping build, build the systems, you know, for better or worse, um, you know, it's something that I really enjoy doing mm-hmm. is being in a place where you're growing something. And I've had the opportunity to do that here. Mm-hmm. And I, it's still still an opportunity I have. It still still keeps going. So I spend a lot of my time just trying to help grow the department and move stuff forward. I, you know, I do a little bit of inspection and construction, too, just because I think it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm into that. Yeah, it's, it's something that um, it, the last uh, ACCT conference, I was in, sitting in the trainer forum, and Hi. we were... 
there was discussions between some of the small groups about, you know, what is the percentage that even in the people in that room that just solely do training? And I think that, mm. you know, there's not many vendors out there like High Five potentially in Project Adventure in their size that have the luxury. And I, I'm appreciative of just being a trainer and that's my role, but I have constant desire and it looks like it could transition as this thing changes i assume inspections and builds are going to trump training needs for people clients that i'll get the opportunity to jump into that world more but i've often felt that that's my own personal lack of knowledge is a a complete understanding of how it's built and how it's inspected i think that probably creates a more well-rounded trainer um even though i focus up you know 100 on training you know there's pros and cons to both i'd say What's your yeah, thought? you know, it's hard. It, it's hard to say, you know, when you're when you're kind of reflecting on yourself in in that way. Mm. Uh, but you know, like, you know, just for the for the listener, I, I, one of the things Phil's alluding to, right, is I think the classical model is what I like to think mm. of of ropes course companies um, or aerial adventure attraction companies in this country, anyways. Is what I can speak for is is that you would hire, you know, like Swiss Army knives, right? One mm. person who does everything. And maybe they're more, they're more a trainer than they're a builder. Or they're more an inspector than they're a trainer, but every member of the team is kind of cross trained on everything. And it's just out of necessity. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of us are very, very small businesses. Um, for my part in challenge works, one of the things that's actually been pretty nice is in, and it's kind of contrary to that is we are changing that a little bit. So mm-hmm. even though I do uh, building an inspection, you know, it's very different times of the year and more and more every year, very much, you know, my supervisors really push me to, to spend that time focusing on, you know, the things we were talking about, larger, you know, better, better documentation, growing systems, figuring out new mm-hmm. stuff, figuring out new systems, new problems um, that relate to training and operations. So I still, I still do those other things. And like I said, I really enjoy them, mm-hmm. but um, it's not out of a necessity anymore. Although you're right. I think, you know, with the way, um, the state of the world is i'll probably be doing a whole lot helping to do a whole lot of inspections we'll see yeah. <laughs> you know but um it's it's very much a, a classical thing you know for me what i've found as a trainer is that it's really been helpful and it's really changed how i approach um just the concept of access in general like mm-hmm. how am i getting where i'm going um there's like six thousand ropes course proverbs that i don't know who said what but one of the the great ones i always loved is you know our job is very simple as a builder you're turning a wrench or you're pressing a button on a drill um, and that is five percent of your job and 95 percent of your job is getting to the weird place that you have to do the thing yeah um and that's that's i think the part of that that's really been fun and Mm. as it relates to training i guess the thing that it's really i felt really helped me with is weird rescue problems Mm -hmm. um compliance uh compliance Mm -hmm. or compliance with uh regulatory bodies and, and just thinking in terms of how do we really make um easier systems simpler systems Mm -hmm. how do we make a process different you know i'm I'm not a, a lifetime ropes course person. This isn't where I started, and you know, I didn't I didn't touch a ropes course, a high ropes course, until 2009, and then it was mm. literally to walk around on the ground and be like, "What is this crazy thing? This wow. does not look like something I should climb." Yeah. Um. So, being that person, I'm. I guess I ask why a lot, yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I'm fortunate with both the people that I've worked with and the experiences I've had. 
um, they've encouraged that where it's like, Hey, we've always done it this way. If you can question it, let's question it. Let's mm-hmm. rip it apart. Let's find it, see if there's a better way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just for the benefit of validating the way we were doing it before, you yeah. know? Um, and so that's been really, that's been really cool. I, I think that, that question, you know, that's what we uh, as trainers at high five, we try to impart on the, the, the trainees is becoming thinking practitioners. Don't do something because, and I and, and I always tell people, I don't want you to leave this training and say, if someone asks you, why do you do this, to say, because Phil told me. For, oh, for me, that's oh. not that's not enough, you know, and I, exactly, I just want people to be able to give the rationale. So I, I ask people, ask questions. It, interestingly, for me, when I started in this field, um, I, I was in a training and I wasn't the most technically adept at the time. I was new, but I wasn't, mm-hmm. some people have a natural affinity to technical right. stuff. And uh, for sure. me, I was, Absolutely. Um, I was much more needing to practice, but I asked tons of questions. Uh, you know, like for me, um, you know, I think, and I think this is a commonality with trainers, right? We have, we can objectively grade technical skills. Mm-hmm. I can see whether or not you can tie that knot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to grade or put on any type of scale, people's judgment, coping skills with stress, their ability to manage multiple tasks at a time. And that's, that's what we're doing. You know, mm-hmm. that's what we're doing as operators. Um, I have a friend who starts a lot of trainings with um, group juggle or mm-hmm. warp speed. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, one of the most common old school activities in the world, you know, like mm-hmm. it's an activity I did in middle school without knowing it was ever linked to anything in this, like, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that this is a thing people do professionally. Right. But, um, she always has that metaphor of, you know, like we're juggling people. This is what we're doing, you know, (laughs) like know their names, know what's going on. This isn't just inanimate objects. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so for me, a lot of that criteria is, do you, how many questions do you ask? (laughs) Do you know what you not know? Or are you comfortable saying, I don't know. Are you comfortable saying, Hey, Mm -hmm double check me on this. And I tell people that, you know, like my, you know, as a trainer, I think one of my peeves is when people get upset with each other for just wanting to verify it or feel good about it, you know, Mm. or or checking each other. And I I guess it's one of the things I say at the beginning of every training is like, Hey, you know, this is, this is an expectation is that you will ask to be checked, that you will check each other, that you'll feel good about it. And it's hard, you know, Mm -hmm. not, um, I think, a lot of facilitators and I mean, a lot of adventure people, right? You're confident mm. and there's a culture of confidence and you want to exude that confidence for your participants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that way they feel that S word, you know, safe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's so hard to do, um, when you're, you're not open to feedback and it's, it's, I think it's hard to change people's minds on that, but it, it's like, it's what we do, right? Yeah. I'm sure you've had, a lot of experiences working with people in that in that zone. Mm-hmm. How did you start yeah. off in ACCT and your role and what what is it? Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a great question. So we've we've said it a bunch, and yeah. it's a, a ACCT is the Association for Child Course Technology. So the association is a trade organization and and does a bunch of things actually. So it, it's an education organization for members. It's an advocacy group for just the field as a whole. We also accredit uh, vendors. We accredit uh, tr- uh, inspectors mm-hmm. and and people that basically are qualified to to operate uh, that that's a whole you know that's a whole podcast under yeah. itself. How does accreditation? What does that look like? Right. Yeah. Um, and the thing I think that really defines ACCT more than anything else is ACCT is uh, one of the major aerial adventure standards that's written in um, 
in North America. And additionally, it's used internationally. Um, and I don't have great data offhand as to which one is used the most, but it, the ACCT standard is used around the world. Mm-hmm. And that's both in regards to design performance, installation and inspection and operations and training. So it's, it's something that's, that's pretty cool. And the organization's been volunteer driven uh, for a long time and basically doing all, all these various pieces as, as they move forward. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, another commonality, I think with, uh, most of, the people that you've been talking to when we talk about, hey, how did we get here, mm-hmm. is uh, outdoor education. And yep. that's kind of really where my experience really logarithmically ramped up. And then also where I became aware of ACCT, mm-hmm. that there was this thing, that yep. there was, because I'm asking these why questions, right? I'm like, okay, well, why do we do it this way? What's yeah. up with that? And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, the PVM told us. I'm like, okay, great. What's the PVM? <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, it's this person. Yeah. And it's this, is this and this and this. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, that. Here, I'm like, well, where are these standards that you speak of? And he's like, here, it's on this dusty shelf in the office. Go read this. Yeah. Um, and just uh, at the time when I'm working in outdoor ed, you know, basically the, the ropes director and the director would go to this conference every year and they'd come back and they'd be like, oh, we learned this. And we had played with this game and here's this buzz ring and we had the best time. And I'm like, okay, well, hey, like I got to figure out how to get to yeah. this conference. Yeah. Um, just, uh, just for the fun, if nothing else. And you know, like it's, it's a, I think it's a slippery slope when you find ropes, right. Especially at, at outdoor ed yeah. uh, when I think, I think that commonality, the reason so many of us are, that's a big, a big transformative stepping stone is just the repetition, right? Like when you're working in outdoor ed, you're going to get more hours on a rope than probably any other thing, right? It's yeah. education programs. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody who's got like a very well-developed portfolio or almost everybody I know in this industry worked in outdoor ed Mm -hmm. or had a high school program or a college program where they could do a ton of this. Mm -hmm. And that's also how they got exposed to the concept of there is a standard, there is a guiding document that we look at and interpret that guides our actions. Mm -hmm. Um, So no different for me. And, and at my first conference, I, you know, like was just running from session to session to session. And I think pretty overwhelmed. Um, and then pretty quickly thereafter, I was like, okay, if, if I want to go to this thing again, um, <laughs> you know, I can't always convince an employer to pay yeah, for it. Yeah. I need to figure out a way there. And that led me to the service crew, actually, the ACCT service crew, which if you've been to the conference, is everybody in the yellow hats. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be allowed to serve on that group for a few years. And from there, just working with that team, um, basically, I, I ended up working with the conference work group, which is the the subgroup the volunteer group that helps administrate the conference. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are the people who um, put together the call for presenters and screen all the presentations and organize every single workshop and have volunteer space for room setup. You know, like it's, it's easy to kind of, to not really conceptualize every little moving piece that goes into an event that's got that many people yeah. at it. And, but it's all volunteers that are doing this and mm-hmm. that's the work group and the service crew together. Um, and uh, what was kind of cool about that is I just got to meet a lot of people and learn a lot of stuff and talk, talk about all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I spent a little time volunteering for other committees as well and other work groups. And uh, now I, I'm fortunate enough to serve on the board of directors, which kind of helps guide the overall uh, vision of the organization and just mm-hmm. kind of the tasks at hand. Um, it's very different <laughs> than sitting on the committees. Yeah. In some ways you do less, in some ways you do a lot more. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like, um, you know, our roles in our various organizations where you want to be directive, you want to help set 
what's happening and you have to let the people do the thing. You want to support the volunteers and have the actual people in the fields doing the thing as much as possible. Yeah. I think I, two, two takeaways from what you were saying about your pathway and I think about mine also in terms of volunteership. Uh, less so in ACCT. I've been heavily involved in AE, so I've jumped in committees yeah. and run yeah. conferences and stuff for them. Uh, but I think the, the, the synergy between those two is that right. one, it's, um, volunteering and being and being right. willing to take time out of your work time to volunteer for these mm-hmm. things and through that you make tons of connections and so that you're able to right. you know spread yourself around more and and for people who want careers in this field connection is so right. important and being a face or being visible in some way you have to be willing to volunteer and do that. And then the other point I, from what you were suggested talking about was, yeah, outdoor ed, summer camps, those educational realms, you're going to get hours. And I've mentioned this in other episodes, but the number of hours that I got through work in summer camp and outdoor ed meant that I was immediately a viable candidate for a hire. Like right. it, 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 right. it was a bit of a no brainer because a lot of people think that, you know, I have college students who you straight out of college are saying how do i become a trainer mm-hmm. ah, for high five we have a minimum right. thing of 10 years of experience like that's so you're gonna right. have to be willing, that's a lot. which is a lot yeah and so uh you've just got to be willing to put yourself and do stuff and outdoor ed is a great option for that but then volunteering too you know right most people in this field sort of know each other to a degree just through interactions that sure. we see each other because we're small we're small enough and stay connected so uh, the training team at high five we often every year we'll get together you know we are always getting together but at the start of a year before the training season we talk about what are we going to do new this year in terms of yeah. keeping training somewhat fresh for us and i wish i'd asked this to uh kevin and alex when i was speaking to them and others okay. other trainers but is what's the thing that you've um either brought into your training that's new for you or you've thought like i'm going to try this that you've you've got really excited about this year and then i'll also share mine but something new in your training oh i got a, I got a, I got a great one okay okay yeah so um i'm fortunate enough i work with uh, chris cavert a lot mm-hmm. and um, one of the things that chris does is he's got a lot of experience and information on instructional design and so literally like how are we delivering the curriculum mm-hmm. what's the the flow of that and one of the things that I kind of figured out that he pointed out to me that is a lot of how I was taught to train and teach. And I think a lot of us was kind of how taught to, taught to train and teach is there's a little bit of like a reveal. <laughs> <laughs> like we deliver the material, we yeah. deliver the material, but then there's a reveal on oh, here's why. Mm. Um, and I, I guess I think about it, like if you think about the, uh, the hay bale, right? It's like we, we build the bale and then you tie it all together at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't actually know what the bale looks like until you're finished. Mm. And it's really reversing that. It's the every module, everything that I do, every step of the way, it's to share the outcome and the intent right away hmm. up front. I love that. Yeah. And then, so show them what the shape of the hay bale is, then build the hay bale. Uh, and the thing that you know, it was so, it was so counterintuitive because uh, again, maybe maybe it's because of performance. Now that mm. I'm thinking about it, right? You know, when you're playing something or you're performing something, there is always a reveal. There's always yeah. the build, and then there's the, the here it is, and then the the outro and the coda, and you're mm-hmm. done. But um, with this format, it's actually it's just been a lot more effective. And Chris's argument was, hey, when you share intent up front, you know, people connect to it sooner. There's a faster absorption. Mm-hmm. There's a higher level of transfer. 
and you're not going to lose like it's not going to be less exciting mm-hmm. like you're not going to lose that big reveal that what that reveal feels like to people will feel the same mm-hmm. and they'll still be like wow we did this thing we accomplished this thing and here was the point but it's going to be a whole lot easier for to them to get there when they know what it's supposed to yeah. look like yeah yeah um yeah and i mean it's not it's it's weird because it's not a tangible right it's not yep. like I'm, I'm tying a knot differently or wrapping something differently yeah um and it's been it's been a big challenge, but it's been super rewarding, and I found it to be pretty effective. And I think that's the thing for like us as trainers to be constantly learning. Also, like if we ever got to as trainers, yeah. and if I got to the point where I feel like I'd know it all, then I know mm-hmm. I'm not going to serve my population in a good way too, because I'm not stretching myself. So I I've played around with switching up facilitation order. You know, I'm going to go straight up to the yeah. flying score and use that first. And before, oh, absolutely. you know, and I've been using it differently. I've been, you know, putting people sitting it, sitting them in it, just in a sit harness, maybe not full body, but just sit, and then just to get lifted by the group. Not even no flying, no none of the right. none of the because that's the other part. Sometimes I think people see element operation as a one trick pony because that's the one way they saw yeah. it, and they don't realize like right. actually this is just a, a pulley with a rope through it. I could be creative in that's work, right. and now it serves as a purpose to get people accustomed to height. It's not about and also custom right. to gear and sitting in a harness and all the different feels that we forget. I think that sometimes as a trainer, we sometimes forget or anyone who's been doing this for a long time is we've lost the first time feel, you know, we've lost the, like, totally. what is it like to experience this? So we put harnesses on and that means nothing to us. We watch a group put harnesses on and they're <laughs> complaining about how uncomfortable they are. And oh, it's like, we get yeah. sometimes frustrated and we were like, no, 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 let's own that because that was us. 20 years ago, you know? So that's, that's another big one that like, uh, you know, like, so har- so harnessing is one that I absolutely hammer, you mm-hmm. know, for me, there's, there's like not a whole lot of pass fail criteria in trainings, mm-hmm. but, uh, that are strictly like, you must be able to do this. Well, mm-hmm. like putting on a harness correctly is absolutely yeah. one of them. Right. Yeah. Um, and, um, one of the things that, you know, like that I really enjoy doing and that is super fun for me, like I said, is asking why and that the industry myths are the things that people really, really cling to when mm-hmm. there's actually a lot of other ways to do it, where there's three ways to do it. So yeah, that might be sequence. You know, we're going to do field games and we're going to do lows and we're going to do mm-hmm. highs and we're going to do the climbing wall and then we're going to do this. Then eventually you'll get to the static course. Um, or it could be something as simple as like making the assumption in your training that every single trainee literally knows how to operate a carabiner you know mm-hmm. or or what to do with a carabiner so literally you know like i've had a carabiner within six feet of me for like the last 15 years right yeah. so um this function you know and for those of you if you're not seeing it i'm literally just opening the carabiner yeah. but my hand is on the spine and low and this mm-hmm. is another thing chris and i were talking about because he was noticing like people are doing this a lot right where it's mm-hmm. like i don't work with this thing every day i just we take for granted that people yep. have this these what he has a basic skill when there's no rationale for them to really have that basic skill. It's not a basic skill for them. Mm-hmm. It's not the thing they're doing every day. No. Yeah. So, so for me, the thing that I've been changing, um, and, and it's the same thing is the ask and the why question mm-hmm. and the challenging point is especially a, a level two training, but I've been right. introducing this to level one trainings now and just starting them off on the foot is the commands, the sequence of the commands that are said before someone climbs and, I, and, and challenging <laughs> right. it because, the question I ask at a level two is I, before we even get to Belang, I just, I said, we're going to just do a review of skill. We're going to go over to Belang, but I want to ask you all a question. What does the word belay mean? And I have mm. found that 
95% don't know the answer. They know what they think it means. They know they can describe belaying, but they don't know <laughs> yeah. what the word, if I looked it up in a dictionary, what that would mean. And I think that that's, right. a, that's a problem as an industry because we've got hung up on tradition that we see mm-hmm. things as like, oh, well, I'm always going to say, am I on belay, belay on, can I climb, climb away, or I've sort of variation on that frame. Mm-hmm. And so I've just been swapping out the word belay with the word ready. So now I have people say, am I ready? Ready to climb, climb and climb away. Yeah. Just because I think that from a, you know, we, we work with a range of people. It doesn't matter who I, if they're new to the field, young or old, and I ask them to say, am I on belay? They have no idea what they're saying. And so they ask like, am I on belay? And I know when I go to a, a, a client's site, if I happen to see right next to their, their elements, they've got a sign with the instructions uh-huh. on them. And they say, you say that, you say this, you say that, you say I that. say this. Yep, yep, yep. That, once again, is not serving the why. It serves a tradition. And so I've been yeah, no, changing the – I've been getting rid of the word belay. I, I feel like it's it's important in the climbing in, industry, rock climbing, only because of a lack of visual – connection to your belayer and the word terminology of saying am i on belay from an auditory mm. perspective is helpful because sure. there's a reason but in the, in the challenge course industry where we have eye contact with the p- participants i've tried to challenge the reasons why we say stuff what's your take well, i would on argue that, probably in yeah. the rock climb in the rock climbing industry you're probably going to have the exact same problem yeah. but you, i mean like, if i like if I asked a hundred rock climbers right now, probably mm-hmm. what fully half would think belay is a French word or oh, misspell it or absolutely, say else. or just not, or just not say it. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't really go to climbing gyms a lot because uh, oh. a lot of the times, and I mean, maybe you have this experience where you're it's, walking through the climbing gym, like I don't want to, I don't want to see that, I don't want to see. It's you a, get your hands over your. It's a baker who can't eat cake. It's like <laughs> we're, right. we're too immersed in the world to be wanting to be a part of it. My wife one time sent me um, as a gift. She sent me to an aero adventure park as a, as a gift saying like, you always <laughs> run this stuff and teach this stuff. I'd love you to go. Right. Right. Now she didn't vet the place and I'm not going to name the names, but mm. it wasn't very well operated. And I spent the whole time right. just in a sense of panic and from a risk management perspective. And I didn't want to, and I didn't want to keep name dropping. Then I'm that jerk who's yeah. like, I, yeah. I, you know, I teach yeah. this stuff. So I'm not it's, like, <laughs> it's really hard to go on a zip tour and pretend that you don't know exactly how to stop. Right. Um, yeah. and I'm the, I'm the worst on that too. Like yeah. I just try and keep my mouth shut, but like my family will post, you know, they'll post pictures of themselves on some things somewhere. And I'm like, how dare you not call me and let me find out who did their inspection. <laughs> like, and like that this place for you, I know it's totally unnecessary, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's like yeah, when, it's definitely a, when people say to me like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to send my kid to the summer camp. They've got a challenge course. And then I'm like, Oh God. Okay. Maybe not yeah, that was, one. <laughs> I've had, I, I recently had that experience. So yeah, yeah that was, uh, it's, but, uh, you know, like that, that blank thing is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a thing that I think I really like to think about as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't remember who taught me the phrase, but like the, the phrase that I use is the JWAD. It's just what we always did. Mm. And I'm so happy to keep doing something the same way. If we can figure out a reason, Yeah, is there a reason to do this way? Great. Let's do it. Let's keep doing it. If there's not a reason to do it this way, why wouldn't we change it? Especially when it is so much easier to just say ready yeah. or, or, or something like that. You know, I, I went to a camp, you know, like my first season as a trainer and it, I, I was fortunate enough to literally have my copy of the standards with me. And then I was fortunate enough to not like just pop off real fast, but they yeah. weren't using traditional belay commands. And mm. I, and it was, it was a moment at which I, 
I had, I, maybe I had grown, I don't know, bigger, but like I didn't, it was the first time I had seen somebody not use some variation of traditional mm. Blake commands. And I immediately went to my standards and I'm like, oh, right, there's not a standard on this. The standard is that you use a command yeah. and that's the common practice. And I can think of five different places that have different commands. And the reason that it was so, um, such a mental problem for me, um, and it was, it was kind of awesome. Like immediately I was like, okay, this is a cool thing is that the commands were not in English. It mm. was, they were using a site specific set of commands that aligned with their population and program. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was pretty fantastic. It was a, it was at, at a URJ camp. And one of the things they would ask the kids as part of their pre-climb check is, does your not look like a holla? And I'm like that a figure eight on a bite 100% looks like a holla. That is awesome. Like, why aren't we doing, why aren't more people, why aren't more people having a site specific thing for themselves or something that works that integrate, like you have this holistic program, you're, you're working in outdoor ed and there's a lot of intention around all the pieces working together, the cabin experience, the trail experience, the ropes experience, we could be going further on that. So why wouldn't we? And I think that's something for us is that, you know, we look at, each of the component parts of our program, we read the group, we really analyze what's going, but then we bring them to the sink and then we go straight into factory mode mm-hmm. and then it's lost its oh, yeah. energy. It's lost its authenticness. Um, and yeah, I, the, the one thing I say to people, you know, especially when it comes to the commands is I want to make sure there are commands said. And, I'll, and the, but the key thing is that the people who are saying the commands and those who are hearing the commands need to know what they're for. It's a, it, it yeah. does, so, you know, I went to a YMCA camp that said Y M C A. Now I don't like that because no one, no one know what that meant. And so I said, what you're doing. Right? Yeah. So I said, don't just say it because you want to say it and it sounds cool and you've got four letters right. in your thing. And that seems to work as four commands. Totally. Make sure they understand it. But it doesn't have to be what you've already traditionally done, especially if people don't know what it means. You know, so just going back right. to the belay thing, just for context of listeners, the sure. word belay totally. means to stop. And it's very yeah. closely associated with another word that's written the same, which is delay, same end part of that word, right. which means slow down. So it's just the right. end point of that framing is belay and delay. And and you will have heard yeah, for me, I, I, yeah. if you're a Star Trek, Star Wars so, nerd or anything like that, and you're listening yeah. to this, you'll have heard possibly, or any pirate thing, you'd have heard belay referenced in a different way, where a captain will say, belay that order. And that means stop what you're is, talking about right now. So it's, it's a stop. So this is a, say, yeah. it's, a great, it's a great like historical thing that I do talk about in level twos, because yeah. we're talking about, you know, where did the challenge course come from? And you know, I'll let Colorado and North Carolina fight over it some other time. But <laughs> Outward Bound, which which promoted a lot of these devices, right, yep. started on ships. Yeah. Started on boats. And it's a nautical term, right? You know, mm-hmm. you have belaying pins on tall ships. Yep. And yeah, you're stopping orders. And it's very much from like it's it's from our roots, you mm. know. And I don't know why I don't know why rock climbers started using it, but I mean it makes sense. Yeah. Stop to hold fast. You yep. know, don't drop me. I'll mm-hmm. I'll take it, you know. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I was listening to I feel like uh, I was listening to the podcast last year and one of the other things that's kind of something I think somebody mentioned on the Mm. podcast that I also have been really changing is um, just the whole general sequence and flow of activities. And Mm -hmm. I I actually feel pretty strongly about it. And it's one of the things that I think, especially as we look at the industry right now, today in Mm -hmm. in 2020 and April of 2020, Mm -hmm. um, so I really avoid and do not like to do low ropes programs with youth period. Hmm. I don't like it. And hmm. it's, it's one of those things that's kind of always 
you know, from, from the first time I got my copy of silver bullets and there's like these great stunt pages in there and like these old seventies pictures of people doing all these cool stunts and stuff like that. I'm looking at these people and I'm like, no one in this group is an elementary or middle school student. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing complex initiatives with middle school students? Why are we doing spotting with 13 year olds or, or, you know, like a lot of organizations sometimes have a program, like a program flow where it's Mm -hmm. the, the little kids do this low and then they go to these lows and then they go to the climbing wall. Then they go to the highs and they go to the static course. Mm-hmm. When I think about like a, 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 an elementary school student, putting them on a dynamic belay is like the best thing I can possibly think of, right? Like mm-hmm. they are physically attached to something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still figuring out their emotions. So like physiologically, it's way lower risk to have them on a belayed element in my mind than to have them on any type of spotted activity, you know, just from both, um, a physical perspective as well as an emotional and, and social mm-hmm. perspective. Um, I had this great discussion earlier this year with some people. Um, and you know, it was at a training and a, and a woman brought it up to me and she's like, Hey, spell out to me how spotting is different from grooming behavior. And mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that, that refers to behaviors that are taught to, to various individuals that then result in, or an openness to or promote the ability for there to be some sort of assault. Okay. Mm. So specifically crossing people's physical boundaries and a lot, you know, when I, when I break it down and when I think about it, you know, the difference is intent Mm. a lot of the time. So, Mm. I mean, even if you're spotting incredibly appropriately, well-supervised, everything's going a hundred percent. It's literally the intent behind what's happening. And as much as we like to think that we have that power, we can't read what's in people's brains. And her argument was, okay, you have this low activity over here. What are the outcomes for this activity? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the outcomes are that they, they build uh, interpersonal communication. Maybe they learn not to speak on top of each other. Maybe they learn not how to do X, Y, and Z. Okay. Here's this activity over here where they don't touch each other at all, that you can do that same thing where they're not exposed to a fall where you can do that same thing. So yeah. why are we doing? That? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a good yeah. things to challenge. Like I, you, and yeah. that's happened already in the industry when it comes to lows. Yeah. Like I, if you ever interacted with meat grinders, um, yeah, you know, we don't build them and I, I've seen maybe one in the last 10 years. So it's, it, mm. you know, they disappear, but, but because there's other things you can do that yeah. set some of the goals and what we even looked at, you know, and I think that, I think that the key piece in this is when you're deci- deciding what or, or when or how mm-hmm. is thinking of outcome over just the sake of doing it for the sake of it. Right. And for us, we've been, we've been even challenging in our youth programming, the current standard operations and some low elements. Um, I, I prefer experimentation from a, from the youth perspective of like, I've got a four year old. Now I right. let my four year old climb stuff around like, Across a log, sure. across a beam. Now I'm in a spot, but she's experimenting with it. I haven't created a set goal in that. There's a little bit more mm-hmm. experimentation. We had some kids climbing around on one of our portholes, and the teachers were like, "Are you going to control that?" And I said, "Well, I'm just going to observe because I feel like they're experimenting with themselves sure. right now. They're figuring out their bodies <clears throat> in terms of their own balance and stuff like that." Now, risk management becomes a challenge with stuff like that. So sure. you've got to constantly weigh up. Where is your own personal, but where's your organization's personal, or their own risk yeah. and the insurance and lots of different factors. Yeah. But I do agree there have been many times where I've avoided a certain activity because I knew I can do other stuff that doesn't require right. the same level of risk, but the mm-hmm. outcomes are equal to 
those. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I've brought highs into my programs way before I've brought lows because, sure. and often like something like a cabled element, like maybe a mohawk, which I prefer if the group is ready self spotting. I, I like to teach people to right. be able to manage their own selves. And I think Absolutely. that's a fallacy. I think that's a problem when you've only been taught that's the traditional spotting. What is that really <laughs> right. teaching? Like this. What is the real pause teaching? Pause that clause. Oh, pause that clause. That's something I really dislike. <laughs> because, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll get onto that later, maybe. Like, um, but oh, yeah, yeah. The, with the close spotting, you're you're creating, you know, opportunities where people aren't really pushing themselves. It's sort of like a risk homeostasis. Right. You've always got a safe safety blanket. And so you're not really right. trying. And also, I don't like when people then fall and they stand up and they yell at their spotter. And then I'll say to them who fell, I say, yeah, I agree that the spotter maybe wasn't paying attention. But I'm going to ask you, is there any point during that you could have stepped down? Did you need to hold on to that right. multi-line rope the whole way to the right. ground? Right. And I know exactly. that that's – but I think that, you know, I like to teach self-spotting. But often I'll bring some lows like a cabled element. I, that's the last thing I do with a group now. You know, I'm, not, I'm not ending with a swing or ending with a zip or something no. like that. I'm going to end with a low because I think that's a – it, what it gives me is a test of how good did the group do in their bonding team development work that I was focusing on Absolutely. before. Because now it's a challenge. You know, a team triangle or a triangle mm. tension traverse is actually probably much more challenging for a group than to go up on a multi-vine high up when you've got a group supporting you on the ground. So the You're absolutely right. rationale yeah. I mean, I do a lot of change. Yeah. I do a lot of adult programming now. Yeah. And, you know, my, my – I don't facilitate nearly as much as I used to. And that's one of those things I, mm. every year I'm like, I'm going to facilitate this many days and mm. I, I don't, I don't meet the target cause I'm out training or doing something yep. else. Um, and, and when I do, I'm fortunate enough that it's, you know, corporate work a lot of the time it's near my house. It's kind of cool stuff. And yeah, a lot of the time it's, it's these, it's not, it's not a youth group and it's the exact same themes and the exact same issues. I can't, you know, like, uh, I can't go right into a low element. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they, they don't know each other that well. The social emotional component is huge. And, you know, in those programs, I do a lot of stuff with team belays. So we'll do, mm -hmm. you know, full higher obsession with team belays and they've really just built trust a lot faster. And yeah, now we can go to a low and we can try something different with a low. Yeah. Um, you know, I do a lot of stuff with, um, spider webs and objects. That's, yeah. that's kind of the thing that I love doing because again, same outcomes, I can really use that device so many different ways and I don't have to teach spotting. I don't mm -hmm. have to worry about it as much here. Um, especially if I'm, if I'm working with a group that, you know, a lot of, uh, I think, I think we assume that adults are easier to work with. I don't find it to be the case at all. No, ingrained um, behaviors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you spend all this time getting, getting this group of working at a certain level. Um, I don't want to risk destroying that, yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. uh, definitely, yeah, I'll, I'll do things a little, that way as well and, and i think we've found yeah. from a build perspective that we're building less spider webs um just or, or other elements that require lifting components yeah and so we've had yeah. to be creative you know like we came up with a cube which has been really awesome for us the three-dimensional portable spider sure. web yeah which doesn't involve it's not lifting is not built into the the, the sequence of activities into that one it's sure. literally walking yeah. through trying to not get touched by the web and the manipulation of the cube so can I ask you one question yeah. about those real fast? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Question that I've been asking okay. Yes. So it was pointed out to me recently, yep. and it's hilarious to me because it's so true that the overwhelming majority of low elements are about going from point A to point B. Yeah. And like so many of them are like, okay, we're here. Now we're going to go here. And when you think about initiatives, mm. 
so many of them, it's it's that, and it's just about the story that we spin around it. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to know you. Is yep. there an, a a low activity or initiative or something on the ground that you like to do that you're really into that does not involve going from point A to point B? Uh, good question. So I'm going to say that I have been. I don't know. Every time I think about it, I'm it's a point A to point B in the in the thing. Right, right. It's very it's hard to the finger. But you know what I you know what I've been playing around with and I've enjoyed is is just the is the whale watch, but trying to yeah. incorporate some variation on the whale watch. So mm. I I've been really enjoying uh, taking uh, chalk, a sidewalk chalk, or or it could be spot mm. markers if you have a range of colours. Like we have spot markers that are in primary colours, but laying them yeah. onto the the whale watch, have everyone be on it balanced and then introduce a twister uh, mm-hmm. a spinner and play twister oh, on the whale cool. watch. So now it, you go person by person and say right-hand green, and let's see as a group can we maintain the balance, even if you don't maintain it. It's a very hilarious <laughs> uh, integration into thinking of the whale watch as a board game. So you can as well make it into a checkerboard and have it be mm-hmm. two sides. And then as mm-hmm. the, the parameters are, when an end touches the ground, that's when the turn is passed to the opposite team. So if the end is on the ground for me, I can keep moving pieces. But if I move too many pieces and the, the whale watch tips, then you're in a position mm-hmm. where uh, the other team moves. And as well, you can take uh, a rope and move it like a snake up and down the board and then put a ball on it and make it like those little toy mazes where you're moving like a ball bearing around a maze and the group has to make the ball move around the maze, but they're not even on it. They're just using their feet and they're either lifting the board. Um, but trying to be, I, I've been trying to be creative around the way that I use that element. Um, spider's web for me has been one, it's not, you know, it's a different way to use it than a passing people through is taking sure. a rope and weaving rope right. in between it. Right. Um, and, and also introducing group juggle, you know, your reference group juggle, but introducing that to a right. spider web. But absolutely, I think that those things I've, I've been sort of semi like a bit more excited about utilizing those in those ways, mm-hmm. because I, yeah, and I agree. I think that I, I, when I go to a training and they look at the highs and they only have traversing highs, it's all mm. the same, but different things hanging, <laughs> you know? So I think it's like the same thing. And I try to encourage them. You, you could probably do with some different kind of highs, maybe stuff that goes up, right. maybe stuff that moves. There is one right. element I have, have seen um, that I have enjoyed actually probably two that I've other new, ele- different elements. One is a, I think it's called a, I think I'm trying to think what we've been calling it, like the bird's nest or something like a nest. Essentially, it's a cargo net, but it's it's held horizontally, and it's a it's a low. It's about six foot high, mm. and um, it's right. spotted to get everyone into it. The aim is to try to get everyone into the net, yeah, and then get everyone out. But what mm-hmm. two two uh, variation activities I've enjoyed is one tr- once everyone's in the net. The aim is to try to get the whole group to cover every hole in the net with their body so that no hole has oh, got cool. an opening. So they're yeah. spreading their bodies yeah, around. It's like almost like this um, filling a shadow. Sometimes you have shadows. You're trying to fill mm-hmm. a circle with your shadow, but this is a holes in the net. And then also have then two people lie under the net with some fleece balls. And it's like a reverse upside down whack-a-mole where the gr- <laughs> they're trying to throw fleece balls through the holes while the people on the net are trying That's to prevent awesome. it. So that I've, been, really cool. I've enjoyed. And then also an adaptation on the King's finger or the giant's finger, uh, where it's a tire on a, uh, right. a post, but 
attaching ropes to that and having it redirected with pulleys and having it be right. people on the ground manipulating and it like either like a crane machine feel or it's like a giant bull ring. Um, so that's cool. There's a, there's, that's a few lows that I've been enjoying seeing around that more and ones that we've been building a little bit more of. You're trying to create Definitely initiatives that are low based that don't have the yeah A to B. <laughs> right, right. Oh, well, thank you, Ron. Uh, you know, I've always wanted to be able to connect with it. you, and uh, yeah. it's been fun to be able to find this excuse to do it. And we've got this yeah, free totally. time, so it's worked out well for us. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, so Phil and I always walk by each other at the conference and have like a like a five minute conversation. Yeah. We're like, we're going to talk later, and then. <laughs> Maybe I see you the next year at the conference and we yep. do it again. Yep. It's yeah. been like years in the making. Like, oh, finally we'll yeah, talk. Yeah, right. Seriously. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've really appreciated you just taking the time and, and giving your information. There's so much we've talked about in this. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Thanks for giving us a good pasta, guys. Last thing, Rohan, if you, you, since you've been listening, do you have, I didn't ask to prep you, but do you have a dad joke you'd be willing to share? Oh, the dad joke. So <laughs> I really, I really, I, so what's the right way to say this? Uh, dad jokes are less my wheelhouse than jokes <laughs> that maybe you don't tell in trainings. Uh, me and a couple of coworkers, the pun game is much, much stronger yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. when you're working in trees, trees and, and, and ropes courses, there's mm-hmm. no end of puns, you know? Uh, so I guess you, you might want to say that, you know, at the challenge works training department, you need to have at least three puns in your arsenal. Otherwise your job might be on the line. 